And my intent is to get you to reconsider the road you're on and ask yourself a few practical questions. Are you on the right road in your life? It is easy for a person to end up in the wrong place. You're sincere, you mean well, but you could be on the wrong road. All of the, probably for the last three months, I've been just thinking about a question. Where are you going? That's been my question. Where are you going? And is this the road that will get you there? If you get in the car and you're trying to go someplace and the direction you go in is north, but you're trying to go south, you'll never get there because you're going in the wrong direction. And sometimes in life, we spend a lot of time going in the wrong direction. And so are you going in the wrong direction? Are you making decisions that are inconsistent with where you, you say you're going? And so what I want you to do this month, the entire month, is to rethink the road you're on. I want you to rethink, and that is our theme. And they put our graphic up. I want you to see this. This graphic illustrates so well the, the point that I think makes the point. It's, it's about rethinking the road you're on. I think you can see it. Rethinking the road you're on. And I, there's, there's, a, there's a transformation that happens when you think about it. If you look at your life and you say to yourself, I am totally and completely um, convinced that even though I'm sincere, our family is going the wrong way. And so there are four areas I'm going to talk about over the next four weeks. And so you can, I'm going to show you where they are. Number one, today we talk about how families get on the wrong road. Say that with me, please. Come on. How families get on the wrong road. I'm going to show you a family that got on the wrong road. I've talked about them before, but not this way. It's a little bit different. Turn your notes over if you got sermon notes with me. If you don't, you can download them right there on, on your screen. But let me show you the four, four topics. Next week, we'll talk about how countries get on the wrong road. Our country can get on the wrong road. And and I'm not, it's not a political kind of sermon, but it, it does talk about some things that, that we can do. I, I think religious people like me, uh, in our sincere efforts, can push the country in the wrong direction. But how does a, how does a country, an entire nation, get on the wrong road? How did Nazi Germany get to be there? How, how did that happen? What was, what was in the thinking of the leadership? that made them miss it during that season in Japan or in, our, in certain seasons of our own history? What was, it, what was it that we missed that made us not get it? It's very easy, if you're not careful, to not understand that we're on the wrong road. The next week I'm going to talk about how fathers get on the wrong road on Father's Day. Fathers sometimes uh, are, are the most blamed guys in the world. If anybody says they're crazy, they normally said their dad did it, not their mama. Daddies are, daddies are just the ones. If they're getting counseling, it's because they're father or something. Sometimes mama's sneaking there, but generally it's dads. And so how is it that fathers get on the wrong road? And what is, it that, what is it that we can do to help fathers? Fathers sometimes are victims themselves. But how do fathers get on the wrong road? We'll talk about that, and, and it, it's going to be a fascinating study. Last one, how businesses get on the wrong road. Now, the reason I'm going to talk about business is because it's the first time I've probably done it like I'm going to do it in this sermon. But I really need to do a whole series on this. But I'm going to talk about some of you that are in business, you're sincere, but you're on the wrong road. You can be in a business you shouldn't be in that God will never bless because it's not your skill. It's not what you're good at. 
and it's not what's needed. It's what you like, but it will never make you money, will never do you well. And so you're praying for God to bless a business he will never bless for you because that's not your calling. This is where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing for God. This is my, this is my, my calling, my life. And so we'll talk about that. And so four sermons, family, our country, fathers, and business, those four sermons, all of them will talk about the one theme, the right road, how to get on the right road and how to make sure you're there. Now, what I want to do is start off with what I call the road test. This is called the right road test. Please come on. The right road test. Now, you have four, but I talked about this in our men's gathering before I got here, so I added a fifth one. So you get the right, get the right one in for me. Here's how you test the road. If I say to you, your family is on the wrong road, your question is, well, how do we know? Here's a test. Number one. Where has this road taken me so far? Say that with me, please come on. Where has this road taken me so far? Look at the road you're on. Look at the choices you're making. Look at the way your family's living. Look at your schedule. And ask yourself, where has it taken me? If you've, it's only taken you to 8th Street and you're trying to go to 20th Street, maybe, maybe you're on the wrong road. You, you know, there's something about understanding that a road that goes north will not take you south. And so you have to back up and analyze yourself. Secondly, where will it take me if I continue? If I continue doing exactly what I'm doing today, where will I be in a year or two years or six months? Having that moment when you back up and say, no, it's not going to take me where I want, want to go. That's something that's hard to say. Number three, how much control do I have on this road? Say that one, please. Come on. How much control do I have? You know, a lot of our lives are out of control. You're out of control from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night. Your whole life is chaotic. You get up late. You run to get dressed. You never let your clothes out. You're always trying to scrap together and iron something on the fly. You leave the iron board up. Bed's not made. Everybody runs out the door, eats a, eats a Pop-Tart, and then <laughs> gets to work just on time. And then you, and you, you look, by the time you get to work, your hair is wild. You're mad and you've got an attitude and you're frustrated. It's because you are on the wrong road. And this road is not going to get you where you want to be. This is, not the, this is not the life you dreamed of. You went to college, you worked hard at whatever you did, and now look at you, you're still running as if you have no control. How much control do I have on this road? Sometimes it's the, it's the road, it's just the system, it's just the way the family's organized, it's just chaotic. Here's a, here's a plan. Lay the clothes out the night before, iron it all up, lay it hanging out in the closet, right? Then we get up early enough to be on time. We got to be to work at 9 o'clock. Okay, 8 o'clock. Somebody said, what job is that, right? 8 o'clock? Okay, 8 o'clock. So we get up at, get scared, 5.30. Oh, God. Okay, 6 o'clock. Okay, but it takes you an hour to get dressed and an hour to piddle. That's why you're always late. You're like me. I piddle. I fool around. I do stuff. I'm kneading up everything. Okay, so I'm going to be late. I have to, as a matter of fact, I'm so bad, I have to set alarms. I have alarms every 15 tempo. This is your wake-up alarm. Then this is your get-dressed alarm. This is you almost need to get out of here alarm. And this is you better go now alarm. Because I'm telling you, I'll just goof around. I'll get talking to Diane. She'll get me distracted. They get philosophizing, phone ring, text somebody, pray, hallelujah. I'll be just as late as I can be. 
I have to tell myself, now you know yourself, right? You know you're about to piddle. So he's, if, I'm, if I'm traveling, honestly, I pack two days early. I start packing it because I know myself. I want to put it in a suitcase, take it out of the suitcase. Put it in the suitcase, put it in the suitcase. I want it neat. I want to organize it. Said, just start now, two days before you leave. And I have the suitcase. Right now, I have someplace I'm going to go. I have it all laid out. I know me. So you got a problem, don't you? Well, you got your issues, too. I'm just being honest. You work, deal with yourself according to knowledge. So I know myself. I set my alarm. I got up this morning. I knew I had to be here at 8 o'clock. So I was up, you know, like quarter to 6. And I got up and I piddled around and, you know, shine the shoes and do stuff and pray and talk to God and cook a little breakfast. And I mean, I do my little, it's my little routine. There's something about understanding that if I do that, then I get here. I'm not, I'm not rattled. My life is not out of control. I'm not on a road that's out of control. That's why you fight. That's why you have difficulty. That's why your husband and your wife and your kids are all mad because you're all out of control. You rushed here. You fought. It's amazing. You're going to church. Get dressed. I mean now. I mean I need everybody to go. I'm not going to be late to the house of God. I want to hear by love today. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you came to church. That's wow. Woo, boy. That was fun. So every Sunday, the kids looked at us. Get up, I'm going to beat you. You're going to the house of God. If you live here, you're going to church. Okay. Let's go celebrate Jesus. It's going to be fun. This is not fun. This is not easy. This is incredibly hard every day of our lives. Some of you say, amen, if I'm right. Amen. Too much overtime. Too many hours. Your life is out of control. Sell the house. Get something cheaper. I had a friend. I had a friend. He, uh, I, now I like my house. I'm, I'm not, everybody shouldn't go do that. Some of you are going to run home and argue about that. I didn't say that. I'm just making a point. Sometimes you are living in a, a your, your life is out of control. Too much debt, too much, too much, too much, too much. We have to start over. We have to re renegotiate this. Renegotiate the partnerships, renegotiate the business, renegotiate because it's out of control. And there's no sign that I will ever get off this road. There's no indication. And so I need to pause and really deal with the reality that, I'm, that something has gone really wrong. And if I don't fix it, I'm, I, it, it won't change. So what is this road taking from me? So I'm sorry, where is this road taking me so far? Where will it take me if I continue? How much control do I have? I could spend a lot of time there. Number four, I got to move on. What happened to others who have traveled this road? What happened to other people? People that I know, name them, you know them. People who work like this, did like this. What happened to their family? What happened to their relationships? What happened to their health? People that you know, you can name them. Then the last question we added, I love this. Who do you allow to talk you off the road? Is there anybody that can talk you off the road? Or are you grown? My house, my life, my man, my, my man, my, 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 I'm sorry, I am my own man, I'm my own woman, whatever. And there's nobody that can talk you off the road. So if God wanted to help you, there's nobody he can send. There's no person in the flesh that you allow to talk to you because you know 
it all for whatever reason. There's something about having that in your life. The greatest gift I have is that. It helps me in the managing of the church. It helps me, I mean, every 30 days there's a financial review from an outside group. They send me, it's wonderful. Here's what we think you're doing right. Here's what we think you're doing wrong, Pastor. Here's some things you need to look at. Here's your expenses. Here's some things you need to do, Pastor Ray. Every 30 days, outside group, and then once a year there's an audit, the big audit, but, you know, audit review, rather. And it's just, it's just important, I believe, to have that. I think empowering the people who work for you to talk to you is important. Empowering your children. And, and what, are you a workaholic? Are you out of control? Is your life, you, you, somebody should be able to say, stop. But you don't empower anybody to do that. How can God answer your prayer? It's impossible. Something to think about. Now, what I want to do is, is jump to Genesis 49, because this is a Bible study, I promise. Uh, I want to summarize something, and I don't, I'm not going to read Genesis 49 because it's too long. But it's, it's a great chapter because this is a road that describes a man's life. His name is Joseph. And Joseph was born on a road that was complicated. And in chapter 49 of Genesis, it's, it's the, the end of, of uh, Jacob's life, his father. And his father has called all 12 brothers together, and he summarizes the issues he had with the brothers. And he says, let me tell you, um, you guys, where I think you are. It's a great chapter. You've got to read it. But read it in a modern translation if you like, because it's really, it's really powerful how he, how he communicates to them and says, here, here are your issues. And I want you to notice that these, these, boys, are, these boys are amazing. And, I, and I'm really highlighting Joseph because Joseph, is, his life is covered from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. Tw I mean, it's amazing. 13 chapters belong to this guy. 23 chapters, I'm sorry, I can count. 23 chapters belong to this guy. So God says, I want everybody to know the life of this man. He was an incredible contributor. You, you, he's one of the few guys in the Bible you don't find issues with. He, he, didn't, he wasn't cheating on his wife, wasn't running around, wasn't any, this is a godly man. He, had, he wasn't perfect. But he grew up in a family that had issues. Now what's important about this is sometimes you don't get to choose the road you're born on. You're born on the road. You wake up, you're here. And these are your cousins and uncles and family members. If some of you could choose, you say, put me back to sleep, let's try it again. <laughs> I, need, I need a new group. This group is really hard to manage. I love the fact that in summation, in Genesis 49, he gives the summation of the kids, and he says, let me tell you what your issues are. And he starts with his oldest, he said, not when his oldest, Reuben. He says, Reuben, you committed adultery. Oh, yeah, he, I mean, right out of the box. You are an, adult, an adulterer. Then he goes on, and Simeon, you, and Levi are both violent. Fight at the drop of a hat. Now, this family review is not going too well right now. But he's honest. Judah, you seem to have the, your head on straight. Number five is about Zebulun. is a safe harbor. <clears throat> His car is a tough donkey. <clears throat> that is amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dan, <clears throat> you ever had this mighty anointing come on you all of a sudden? Ah, <laughs> oh, boy, I tell you, that means I'm preaching good. <clears throat> ah, big names make you cough. Now, when I was a young preacher, they used to make me nervous. <clears throat> but I don't care now. <clears throat> Stay cool all your life. You remember that, yeah? All right, here we go. 
Uh, Dan, number seven, will handle matters for his people. He'll handle his business. Gad will be attacked, but he'll fight back. Asher will be famous for rich, food, rich foods. Asher's going to be in the, in the food and cooking. Naphtali, he's, a, he's like a deer running free. Joseph, I love this, number 11 on the list, is a wild donkey that God blessed. <laughs> Benjamin, now this is so true. As a matter of fact, I promised you I was going to teach a text I don't like, and I think it's Judges 19, about an attack some Benjamites made on a family. It was horrible. And um, I decided to use this text instead, but this description is so accurate. It said that, he's, that Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. To call anybody a wolf is a really strong statement. Just vicious. As a matter of fact, this is the only tribe that the Israelis attacked and almost wiped out every man. They killed almost every man. What they did was so horrendous by attacking this man's family. It was amazing, but that's another story. So the big point here, big point is very simple. This is a family that had issues. And it's, it's, it's really a troubled road. His, Joseph's family was on a troubled road. Now in chapter 49, this is the daddy saying what already happened. And you want to look and say, are you talking about the kids you raised? You're talking about the kids that you raised? They are, he said, yeah, yeah. They, they did a lot of bad things. They weren't all perfect. Not all of them were bad, but some of them were really bad. And then he says, Joseph, in chapter 37 of, uh, of Genesis, I want, to read, I, want, I want to read this because the story is so amazing. In Genesis 37, you have... The description of Joseph's family, and I just love it in the Message Bible because of the way it says it. But let me just read it. Now, this, Jacob, this is in, I'm reading the New King James now. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpha, and his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report to, of them to his father. Not Israel or Joseph, another name for Jacob, brother, I'm sorry. Not Israel or Jacob loved Joseph more than all his brethren. So you got a family that's in strife. You got a family that has a tremendous challenge here. The challenge is you have a family where a guy at 17 years old is, in a, is surrounded with favoritism. Now, he's the favorite child, but that causes tremendous stress in the family. But he's also a guy who's raised with a lot of baby mamas. As a matter of fact, um, I looked it up to, to make sure I had it right, but he had a lot of mamas going on. And uh, I want to just read it to you. It, uh, Jacob had 12 sons and at least one daughter and two wives. Then he, Leah and Rachel, those were his wives. You remember the story? Uh, Jacob um, goes, he falls in love with Rachel, uh, and then he's tricked by the father to marry Leah. He woke up on his wedding night, and he had the wrong woman under the veil. And so then they end up with these handmaids. And so he ends up with um, handmaids. So he's got, he's got these incredible four women in his life. Bilhah is a handmaid and Zilpha is a handmaid. So each of Leah and Rachel had handmaidens. So in the end, they had this baby making contest, which is another whole story, where Leah, Rachel couldn't have babies. Leah could. So finally, uh, Leah has a baby, and then God blesses Rachel. She has a baby, and then, and 
He said, well, that's not enough babies, so they get the handmaids to have babies with them. It's just a mess. So, you say, what kind of story is this? A real one. <laughs> Why did God allow it? Here's how God works. He gave man a free will. He guides you through seasons of your life that he doesn't like. And having many wives was a common cultural issue that God never intended for man because he made Adam and Eve. That was the plan. And I know some of you say, well, I don't know how you can be faithful to one person. Well, God planned it that way because he knows what's best. If you look at chapter 37 in Joseph's life, you see why. A whole lot of baby mamas is a whole lot of drama. <laughs> baby daddies too. It just wasn't God's original plan. So now you have this strife between uh, the family that arises. And I think it's important to see in Genesis 37, he quotes, he says, Joseph uh, was in the house with his favoritism, and he was dealing with all these baby mama dramas. And as you read through it, they didn't like him. So imagine with me growing up in a family, if you would please, and you, there's jealousy, there's violence. They end up taking Joseph. The brothers come together, and they get so sick of Joseph because Joseph had this dream thing going on. And Joseph just didn't have a lot of wisdom in how he would tell his dream. So he, at dinner tables, hey, guys, I had a dream. I saw all of you worshiping me. Now, you can imagine how that would go over in your family. You know, we all gather together at the family reunion, or we all get together for the school reunion, and then they say, hey, hey everybody, ho, 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 all you beach students, hold on. Had a dream. I saw all y'all bowing down to me. The reunion would take a different twist. You understand what I'm saying? So this is, this is a guy, and I want you to see, but here's what I want you to notice. This is a family that is not dealing with that issue. They're on the wrong road, and no one's talking about it. You ever seen this? Everybody's on the wrong road. Everybody's got their opinion. Everybody's saying what they want to say, and it's not fair. It's not being dealt with. So there are two big problems. Repeat this with me, please. Say, no supervision, no supervision. And, no communication. and no communication. Because there's no supervision, daddy's letting them do what they want to do. Daddy's letting them say what they want to say. It gets out of control. What should have happened was dad should have said, hey, guys, this is bad. This is all bad. Stop the arguments. I mean, the Bible says in Genesis 37, you can read it on your own. It said they couldn't speak nicely to Joseph. So what happens is it escalates. And one day the 12 brothers decide, let's kill him. If he tells us one more dream. And so guess what he does? He tells them one more dream. So they, first they throw him in a hole, going to let him stay there until some animal eats him. And they says, ah, oh, let's sell him. So then they sell him. And so for 13 years, he disappears. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. He is 17 years old. He, you know, he doesn't appear again until he's 30. So imagine as a teenager being sold by your brothers. Imagine them counting out the money and you being carried off in some caravan. You end up in Potiphar's house, a woman, a uh, man named Potiphar's house. His wife falls in lust with you, not love, big difference. And she says, hey, you're a good looking guy. And then she starts pursuing him every day. He says, listen, this is not right when I'm not doing that because what happened was wherever he went, God blessed him. It's amazing, wherever he went. So when they sold him into slavery, Potiphar liked him and put him over the whole house. He's in charge of all the servants. He's the man in charge. God blessed him anyway. See, God will bless you anyway. And so he's over all the servants. She starts falling in lust with him, big difference. 
And some of you need to say, oh, am I in love or lust? Very different. See, you, know, you want to know the difference? Lust means I want a right now moment, not a forever moment. Lust means I don't want to pay no bills. <laughs> Lust means I like the way you look, not the way you talk. You understand what I'm saying? Lust means I like you and hate your family. Lust means I don't want anything past this moment. She's in lust and not in love. So she starts chasing him and running up on him and bumming up on him. And, and he says, all right, Ms. Bottom, stop all that. Now. Stop all that. That ain't good, Ms. Bottom. That ain't right, Ms. Bottom. You need to leave me alone now, Ms. Bottom. No. And then the Bible said one day he came in and, and she, she had enough of him saying no. And she said, today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day. May show the husband was at work. You working right, honey? You working a long time. Where well, you going on a trip? Good. All right. And she went in and gave all the servants, you off, you off, vacation time, vacation, holiday, off, sick, sick day, you go out of here, everybody leaving. When he came home, he said, hey, hey, nobody answered, hey, hey, whoa, Miss Potiphar, what's up? <laughs> and she, and she said, this is the day, boy, this is it. And she ran up on him and he ran out of his coat. Some of y'all, some people said, well, that's the day. They said, well, Lord, I tried, you know, I tried. I, I did all I could, Jesus, you know, I did. <laughs> She got me cornered now. I can't get away. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't back up. I don't know where to go. <laughs> then she lied and said he tried to attack her and then they put him in prison. Now, you know, it's bad when you're in jail and you didn't do anything. He's sitting there. So I didn't do anything. I'm in jail. He's sitting there, sitting there for years. And, and when he sits there for years, he could have been bitter. Never was bitter. Never was bitter. Focused man. But please understand, this was a guy who had this incredible ability to do something that a lot of people won't do, which brings me to a scripture I want to read for the day. You ready? Matthew 16, 24. How is it possible to be a God-fearing person on the wrong road? Well, here's the answer. You're not willing to give up something that Joseph gave up. You're not willing to sacrifice the road. I call it road sacrifice. You're not willing to make road sacrifices. He was willing to give up his job, he was willing to give up his coat, he was willing to give up everything to protect himself. Here's what Jesus said about that, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. If you're not willing to sacrifice this road, you'll never get to the best one. And take up his cross. You're not willing to carry the burden and the challenge of this moment. And follow me. He says, that, my friend, is what it's going to cost you disciples if you want to follow me on this road. What road will you not sacrifice? What will you not give up? I made a statement that I think is painful, but it is true. Be careful that this is not the reason for a lot of people wanting a divorce in marriage. They ask themselves this question, where has this road taken me so far? Where will it take me if I continue on this road? How much control do I have on this road? Then they say, what happened to others who traveled this road? They look at them, their lives and they go, man, this is a mess. This, this is a mess. This is not going to be fixed. And so you, you pause and, and I'm, not, I'm not advocating divorce. I want you to stay together, but I'm just making a point. This is what happens to people. They, come, they make an assessment. Here's what you want to be. Don't let the answer to the prayer be get off of your road. Don't, don't make the answer to the prayer if I'm praying for God to bless my finances. Don't talk to you because you always want some money. 
Don't let that be the answer to the prayer. If you're not careful, you could be, the answer to the prayer could be pretty profound. Denying this road. What road is that? I mean, if you want to grow, it may be, this is not the church. I mean, this, the, the church you're in could be, I'll never, ever change, grow if I stay here. I'll never, I, it will always be the same. This job, I'll never have freedom. I'll never be in control of my life. I'll always, always deal with these same issues. There's something about understanding the road you're on is not sustainable, and that's what Jesus said. You must come to the place you're willing to take up the cross, the burden, the hard part, and follow me to another place. You got to follow me. You got to say, this is it. In my life, I realized there are just some things I will never, ever be able to have on certain roads. And so I must change this now. Get off the road. Make a hard turn. This is nothing. Stop in. Freeze. Eating like this. Living like this. Thinking like, thinking like this. In and out of depression, frustrated about everything, always worrying about stuff that won't matter long term. It's not. I live in crisis too much. My life, my road is out of control. Pause. Stop. Pull the kids over. Pull the life over. Stop now. No vacation. No time off. This is not a road that's sustainable. It's not. It's better living in a one bedroom at peace than a five bedroom in, in hell. better for us to have this and be at peace as a church and build something cash and be free than to build something and be in bondage every month. I'm up here begging you for money. Come on, y'all. I saw the angels. I heard God telling me to get. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Amen. Come on, church. Come on. Amen. Come on. I'm going to show you the difference. I, everybody didn't clap. If I'm right, come on, give God a big hand clap. I'm right. I'm right. There's something. There's something that happens when a group, a family says, no more strife, no more arguments, no more wars around here. Let's stop this as a family. We're on the wrong road, and this road is, has not been good for other people we've watched. Wrong road indicators. We're everywhere. Poor supervision, poor communication in this family. But there are some good road indicators in this family that I think were profound and they missed them. The, the boys in particular missed them. Number one, the ability to dream. In Joseph's life we see it. Good road indicators. This was the guy who was on the right road. Even though he was done wrong, he could dream under pressure. What is your dream? This is a guy that can see no matter what. I mean, he's in a house with a whole lot of baby mama dramas. He's in, he's in the house with you know, four women his dad's relating to. He's in the house with 12, 11 guys who don't, don't, don't get, he doesn't get along with. He's okay, but he can still see. Can you still see? That, that is a good road indicator. He was on the right road. Secondly, the ability to follow through under pressure. He was a follow through guy. When he wrote, what happened was interesting when he was in prison, right? The, the Pharaoh has this dream and, the dream, and Pharaoh can't interpret the dream. He's frustrated, and so he says, I see seven skinny cows. He saw seven skinny cows in his dream, and he saw seven fat cows. And the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows. And he says, what does that mean? And his guys couldn't answer it. And so one of the guys says, I know a guy in prison. You know, I, I met him when I was there, and his name is Joseph, and he, he's a dream guy. He can interpret dreams. So he cleans him up, brings him up, and Joseph says, 
king, here's what it was. Seven years of plenty. You have seven years of plenty, you have seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be so great, they're going to eat up the seven years of plenty, and you won't even remember you were ever prosperous. He says, here's what you should do. I love the fact that Joseph was a thinker, business guy. He said, listen, here's what you should do. There's one thing to tell me the problem, but give me the solution. You want to get paid? Know the solution. You want a promotion? Help the company. Don't just sit in the break room. I think they're all terrible. My supervisor is an idiot. I think they're all dumb. I think that, who cares what you think? Can you fix that? What solution have you brought? How much money have they made having you on board with all the Holy Ghost and knowledge you have? Joining in, in the little gossip groups. Joseph said, let me tell you what you do. He said, when doing the seven years of plenty, save. Set aside enough to last through the seven years of famine. And, and so he said, the king looked at it, Pharaoh said, you know what? I have not heard such wisdom. I'm going to put you in charge. He went from the jailhouse to the top, to the top place. I love it. He went from being in the ghetto to, to riding in a chariot. Now, I'm saying, I love this guy because here's what he does. Here's a guy who has the ability to follow through. And so he does. He leads them through this whole process. And he does not vengeful. I'm such a professor. He's not vengeful. Now, you know, some people would have drove back by part of his house. <laughs> I want to see Miss Potiphar, please. Come, come out of here. I'm talking to you. Bow down. Bow down while you're talking. Bow down. <laughs> he had the ability to dream. That's a good indicator. He had the ability to follow through. And then number three, he had the ability to move beyond. Oh, man. He could move beyond offenses. You know, what, what's got you stuck? I love the fact he didn't do that. There's no indication. Even his brothers, when they finally saw him, you know, they came looking for food, right? During the seven years of famine, they, had, they ran out of food, and they came looking for food, and guess who's over the food? Ta-da, me. But you hadn't seen me in 13 years. You don't know what I look like. Wow, don't, haven't I changed? I'm not a teenager anymore. <laughs> Is that my brother? Yeah, look at that. Hey, Judas, Simeon, look at all you boys. <laughs> and man, let me tell you, it was amazing, but he didn't get them. And in chapter 50, there's this great comment, you know, after their daddy died, they came to him and lied and said, hey, you know, well, we had a talk with daddy and daddy told you, leave us alone. You know, no. <laughs> and here's what he told him. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Come on, people. God meant it for good. You tried to hurt me. That to me is what made this guy an incredible model of the road to be on. What road are you on? And where will this road take you? What decisions have you made, and where will it lead you? At some point in your life, you've got to back up and say, am I on the right road? Where am I going? Is this the road that will get me there? If not, it's time to stop and think. And maybe if you think, you can change everything. You know, I, um, I'm going to make, make, make an executive decision. I'm going to change my sermon for next week. I'm going to talk about how to get your love life on the right road. Yes, I will. I'll do the country thing later. I think I'm going to talk about that. That was on my list. I feel like, you ready for that one? So come on back next week. I'm going to show you how to get your love life on the right road. Let me say, I'll be on the front row, praise God. Come on back next week. We're going to change that, praise God. Come on. Father, I thank you today in Jesus' name for your grace, and I pray your blessing upon what we've talked about. I pray that it will lift your people to a new place. I pray that they will leave here inspired and motivated. I pray that healing would happen in every heart and every mind. Healing would happen in marriages. 
They'd say, my marriage is on the wrong road. My relationship with my kids is on the wrong road. My health is on the wrong road. My money is on the wrong road. My business is on the wrong road. I need to pause, pull on the side of the road, think for a minute. I speak prosperity, blessing your people, healing to every heart. Lift those hands up high. Would you, Lord, heal today? The hurting people is trying their best to be on the right road. These questions are going to give them something to go home and think about, talk to their families about, pray about. Some are streaming in, God. This is a moment for them to reflect and think. Bless them where they are in the living room, their home, their businesses, riding down the street, wherever they are in the airport, healing, blessing, strength to them. Help us get on the right road. Heal every heart, I, I pray. Now with every hand down for a minute, every head bowed. If you said, Pastor, after hearing the message today, what you said spoke to me in a very profound way. I need to make a change in my life. I need, a, I need to make a decision. A decision to surrender my life to God. I, 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 maybe you've been a good person, but you've never really made that full commitment. 